Wednesday, April 17th, 2013, episode number 46 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. I'm going to tell you a story. Episode number 46 of the Football Nation Today podcast, hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer, published on Wednesdays right here on footballnation.com and for your downloading convenience in the iTunes store. Always, we thank you for taking the time out of your day and listening to the program. Uh, we will have a normal show today, or at least as normal a show format as we can, um, but I would be remiss if I did not give my brief, albeit scattered thoughts, on the tragic events of Monday. Of course, two bombs exploding near the finish line at the Boston Marathon in Copley Square, uh, killing three, injuring 176, or at least those are the totals as of this recording. And you know, you, whenever something like this occurs, uh, you know, 9/11, the first one that sticks out in my mind, or even over the past calendar year, and unfortunately, there have been a lot of these in my young lifetime. Uh, the shootings in Aurora, Colorado, this past summer, the Shootings in Newtown, Connecticut at Sandy Hook Elementary School this past December. Uh, you always think, that could have been me. Could have been us. Could have been someone I know. People I know. Um, and this especially strikes home for me, listeners of the show, listeners to my Red Slacks podcast without a curse, may know I live in the Boston area. I go to school at BU. I've grown up in the Boston area. I've spent my entire life here. And that really applies for me and for all of us here in the Boston area. For anyone who spent any time in the Boston area, uh, the finish line at the marathon. My mom ran the marathon several years ago, and I was there at the finish line with my dad, my younger brother, waiting for her, watching her cross the finish line. Uh, we all know people who have run in the marathon, people who ran in the marathon this year, or, or even just that area, Copley Square, Back Bay. It's the center of the city. I was around the. I, I was there just this past weekend. I go there all the time. Uh, it really, when it happens in your home, when it happens in your backyard, it really, it really adds even more meaning to the phrase, it could have been me, could have been someone I know. Um, there has been a lot of great writing about the events of Monday uh, all across uh, many different out, uh, outlets, platforms. Um, I can't list off all the articles I've read. Um, one sticks out in my mind, though. Lee Montenville, of course, great Boston sports columnist, uh, here for many years, now writes for sportsonearth.com. Uh, Lee Montenville had a, had a terrific piece uh, really explaining the essence of Patriots Day, of Marathon Monday, for those who uh, may not get it. Um, every Monday, middle of April, here in Boston, it's the first day of school vacation for the public schools across the area. Um, everyone gets the day off. 
to watch baseball and then watch the marathon. The Red Sox always play a home game at Fenway Park, and the game starts at 11 in the morning, and it wraps up at around 2 when the runners are crossing the finish line, and thousands of people pour out of Fenway Park, walk through Kenmore Square to Commonwealth Avenue to Massachusetts Avenue to Boylston Street to Copley Square, where the finish uh, for the marathon is. And, you know, one line really struck me in Montville's piece, uh, and, and, and it's really the best thing about the marathon, and, and it's ordinary people cheering for ordinary people. Yes, there are the elite runners, but that's not the essence of the marathon. And at 2.50 p.m., when the two bombs exploded near the finish line on Monday, uh, the elite runners had long passed. Uh, it was your mom or dad. It was your brother. You. Cousins, nieces, nephews, friends. Those were the people crossing the finish line at 2.50 on Monday when the bombs exploded. Again, adds more meaning to the phrase, it could have been you, could have been someone that you know. Um, and that's what is so disturbing about this. The fact that whoever planted these bombs, uh, the target, ordinary people, people just like you and me, uh, that's really the hardest thing out of many things uh, to, to process after the tragedies and, and events of Monday. Um, and, you know, people planting bombs and backpacks, duffel bags, and walking away as if nothing is going to happen, it, it shows off the worst in mankind, and it really destroys your faith in humanity. Uh, but then, what we do in response to these moments, uh, you know, shows off the best in humankind and humanity. Uh, I'm sure you've all seen the video by now. Steve Silva, who works in the sports department at Boston.com, was there at the finish on Monday, and he posted the video up about two minutes and 30 seconds of the bombs exploding uh, and just EMTs, firefighters, police officers, uh, marathon workers, marathoners, people who had just finished or were close to finishing the race after running 26.2 miles, rushing not away from the bombs, but towards the bombs, looking for victims, comforting victims, people using their clothing, their lanyards as tourniquets. What we do in response to these events, what we do in response to these tragedies, which show off the worst in mankind, uh, show off really some of the best in mankind. And it does a lot to restore your faith in humanity, because most of us are like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be tough around here for a long time. Uh, the Bruins canceled their game on Monday. Celtics canceled their game last night. As of this recording, the Bruins game on Wednesday night still scheduled to be played. Uh, last week on the show, we spent some time talking about how issues in sports are symbolic to a lot of issues in greater society. We talked about, you know, the issue of, of gays in football, which Shalise Manzi Young of the Boston Globe. And I talked about, briefly about the Brian Banks story uh, in the show last week as well and some flaws that may point out in our justice system. And you look at games across the country uh, today and on subsequent days, subsequent weeks, and you're going to see all of that support, all of that unity uh, from the riveting national anthem at the Chicago Blackhawks game on Monday night to the Yankees yesterday. Of course, our travel with the Red Sox playing the, uh, the Sweet Caroline in between innings at their game on Tuesday night. Uh, the first Red Sox home game this Friday will certainly be a special thing to see. The first Celtics home game, first Bruins home game after these these events. Uh, Danny Amendola of the Patriots tweeted out on Monday he'll donate $100 for every caught pass and $200 for every dropped pass to a Boston Marathon charity to be named later. Uh, Vince Wolfork doing a similar thing as well with his foundation. Um, sports really are how we respond strongest to these events um, because the terrorists have not won, and they haven't won yet. Uh, in 2001, after 9-11, uh, the World Series went on as scheduled, 
And we all know, all remember that moment, George Bush, the president at the time, throwing out the first pitch in a bulletproof vest, the NYPD jacket, um, and throwing a strike. I mean, throwing a strike. That, to me, the U2 halftime show at that year's Super Bowl. Um, you know, and maybe it's naivete, you know, because for those of us here in Boston, the marathon is truly one of those sacred events, or at least was one of those sacred events. Uh, you never think that something like that would happen. No, not at the marathon. You know, maybe at a Super Bowl, a World Series, a big-time college bowl game, a, a playoff game. You know, we can wrap our heads around that. But the marathon, where, as Lee Montville said again, ordinary people line up the streets 26.2 miles in Boston, around Boston, the neighboring towns and suburbs, ordinary people cheering on ordinary people who are doing a sensational thing. Um, but it happened. And it will always be in the back of your mind now. And it's, it's unreal. It really is. So our thoughts and well wishes go out to all those affected by the events on Monday. Near the finish at the Boston Marathon. Uh, but as I said, going on with the show is scheduled. Some football notes to get to in the first on segment where the Patriots will be a topic. Uh, they were after receiver Emmanuel Sanders, restricted free agent. They gave him a $2.5 million offer sheet. However, the Steelers did match that offer sheet. Uh, the Patriots, what's their offensive situation? Aaron Hernandez missing OTAs with shoulder surgery. We'll talk about that. Also, James Harrison, now a Steeler hater, apparently, on the verge of signing with divisional rival Cincinnati. Second down segment, we'll take a look at Chip Kelly and some of the sanctions that are going to come down in his former program, Oregon. And I tell you, you know, college sports, dirty, 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 dirty world, if you didn't know already. Third down segment, it's a big up slowdown. And the fourth down segment, will wrap up the show as well with the Reamer rant. It's Football Nation today, episode number 46. My name is Alex Reamer. We're going to take a moment of silence. Uh, as, again, a remembrance for the events of Monday, and then we'll get into some of the football talk. We'll be right back after this on footballnation.com. Okay, so welcome back, Football Nation Today, episode number 46. I said a few moments ago, before a moment of silence, uh, again, going on with the show is scheduled, uh, living in our sports cocoon here for the next 20, 25 minutes or so, as we like to say. Uh, the New England Patriots, late last week, uh, so I gave restricted free agent Emmanuel Sanders an offer sheet, a $2.5 million offer sheet. Uh, Pittsburgh, after a lot of deliberation, late on Sunday, decided to match the offer. Uh, quarterback Ben Roethlisberger apparently lobbying head coach Mike Tomlin and many within the Steelers organization to match the offer to Sanders. Of course, Mike Wallace has moved on. Um, so Sanders remains one of the stalwarts of that Pittsburgh Steelers offense and passing game. Um, the Steelers are up against a salary cap. That's been one of the stories to watch this offseason in the league. Uh, teams up against a salary cap with the relatively flat cap this season, and the Steelers one of those teams. So the Patriots made the offer $2.5 million a figure that caused the Steelers to think about it, caused them a lot of deliberation. Of course, a $2.5 million means, uh, offer sheet means if the Patriots did sign Sanders, they would have surrendered their third-round draft pick to Pittsburgh. Um, but it was at a figure that, though it made it difficult for the Steelers to match, it didn't make it impossible for them to match. They had roughly $2 million or so in cap space, 
shoveled some minor things around and were able to make the offer match and get Sanders back on their team for next season. Uh, which, you know, begs the question with the Patriots, and it's something we've talked about a lot. We certainly talked about it in regards to the Wes Walker negotiations and how all that went down a month ago when free agency first began to uh, several other things this offseason with the Pats. Uh, the question is, did the Patriots want the player or did they just want the player at their price? Uh, what's more important, the contract or the player himself? Because you look at Sanders, who had 44 receptions last year, um, could have been a 65 to 70 reception guy playing regularly in this offense, maybe being that Brandon Lloyd replacement on the outside. Uh, he'll get more snaps in Pittsburgh this year, obviously, with Mike Wallace moving on to Miami. Uh, we'll see if Sanders, in the final year of his contract, signs an extension with Pittsburgh. You have to think he would have, or else why wouldn't have the Steelers just taken the third-round pick, which is where they drafted Mike Wallace just a few years ago. They drafted Antonio Brown in the sixth round, I believe it was. I mean, even going back to Heinz Ward, uh, the Steelers have long had a lot of success, recent success in particular, drafting and developing receivers rather quickly. Um, so because the Steelers matched the Patriots' offer and didn't take the third-round pick, you have to think they hope to sign Sanders to a long-term deal. As far as the Patriots go, shows you they're still not comfortable with their receiving core because why else give Sanders that very competitive offer? But it just wasn't an offer that was over the top. The Patriots still have more than $10 million in cap space, at least according to the estimates out there. I understand you have to allocate some of that towards the draft, but, you know, why didn't you make it $3 million, $3.5 million? You know, you made it difficult for Pittsburgh to match, but if you really wanted Sanders, if you really wanted the player, why didn't you make it impossible for the Steelers to match? Um, because you look at the Patriots' recent draft history and drafting and developing wide receivers it's not very good, and we've spoken about this before on the show, just again to run through the run through the list. Uh, since the Patriots drafted Deion Branch in 2002, the receivers they've selected are as follows. Bethel Johnson, P.K. Sam, Chad Jackson, Matthew Slater, Brandon Tate, taken one selection before Mike Wallace in 09. Uh, Julian Edelman was a seventh-round pick. Taylor Price, Jeremy Ebert. Uh, those are the receivers the Patriots have selected since Branch in 2002. Um, not that great a track record, to say the very least. I uh, talked about the Hernandez news. Well, Hernandez will miss mini camps following his most recent shoulder surgery. We talked about Rob Gronkowski, which Shalise Manza Young of the Globe last week. The jury is still out on him, and his status for the start of the season, for the start of training camp in particular, remains in question. Um, and the biggest hurdle. Hernandez, Gronkowski, Danny Amendola have to climb is their health. Uh, for this offense really to work, they need their tight ends and Amendola to be on the field. And it's not and it's unknown as to whether all three of those guys will be able to be out on the field uh, for the majority of 2013. Um, because their depth at receiver remains kind of thin. Outside of Amendola and the tight ends, they have Jake Ballard, who they signed last offseason. He's another tight end, of course, former Giant. Uh, they have Donald Jones. They acquired on the cheap from Buffalo. Edelman re-signed with them. But outside of that, it's fairly thin at receiver for the Patriots, which makes you, again, think a guy like Sanders, especially receiving regular snaps on the outside, would have been a really good and useful pickup, potentially, for that offense. And you know with Tom Brady at quarterback, the Patriots are still going to have a top 10 offense. That's not the question. But the question is, have you gotten better or worse this offseason? And on paper, I don't think you can make the argument the Patriots have gotten better, especially on offense. And we talk a lot about Tom Brady's championship window, maximizing the remaining years of that window. Brady's 36 now. 
is going to be entering with an entirely new offense. The last thing you want to happen is for him also to be entering with also to be entering the season with an unstable offense, with guys getting hurt, moving players in and out. That's the last thing you want. Um, but we'll see. Health remains the biggest question mark with Hernandez, Gronkowski, and Amendola, all of them significant injury history in their careers. Now, last week, we spent some time talking about Darrell Rivas. The latest on that is that trade talks between the Jets and Buccaneers are on hold. Even though a recent MRI revealed that Rivas is ahead of schedule in his recovery, as I said last week, and if I said numerous times this offseason, it's a poor use of resources on the part of the Jets. Uh, Revis is in the final year of his contract, which he renegotiated a few years ago. It's simple. Darrell Revis is worth more to other clubs than he's worth to the Jets right now. The Jets aren't going to win with or without Revis in 2013. So what's the best way to maximize your asset? Trade him for draft picks, a fairly you know enticing package, or keep him? to be a, mal a potential malcontent on a losing team. Uh, to me, it's a no-brainer. And I'm not sure why the Jets didn't trade Revis a while ago, because even with his injury, and granted, maybe that makes things a little more difficult, uh, look at how quickly Adrian Peterson recovered last year. Look at how quickly Robert Griffin will probably recover this year. Across sports, science, everything. Um, these major injuries, surgeries, aren't what they once were. I don't think that's a great hindrance to Revis's trade value. I think the hindrance is teams know... Uh, the Jets kind of have to trade him, or at least they should feel like they have to trade him, so they may be less uh, less willing to give up uh, a big package for Revis, but getting something for him is better than getting nothing for him. This is a situation where there's no such thing as selling low, because again, if he plays the art with you, he's not re-signing you. I mean, what are you going to do, franchise him? Yeah, I'm sure that will go well. As I said, Darrell Revis is worth more to other teams than he is to the Jets at this point in time. As of this recording, trade talks between the Jets and Buccaneers are on hold, and it remains a mystery to me as to why that seems to be the case. Uh, final note here, James Harrison uh, on the verge of signing a deal with the Cincinnati Bengals. Harrison now calls himself a Steelers hater um, because the Steelers, of course, cut him earlier this offseason. I uh, can say what you want about Harrison and some of the things he said in the past, especially about Commissioner Roger Goodell. Um, but looking at his numbers earlier today, uh, he can still play. Um, he recorded six sacks in 13 games last season. Obviously on a decline, he's in his 30s. It wasn't the 16 sacks he recorded in 2008. He was maybe the best, best pass rusher going, uh, right there with Doomerville. His total has declined, the sack total has declined each of the past three seasons. But still, six sacks in 13 games. Given he's healthy, for the most part, in a specialty role, you've got to think he can still be an effective piece to a defense. He had 70 total tackles last season, so he still hits people. He isn't afraid to get to the quarterback to wreak havoc behind the line of scrimmage. Um, if the Bengals use him in a specialty role on what already is a pretty formidable defensive line and defensive front seven, uh, I think that could be a big boost to Cincinnati. And again, I'm sure on their end, being divisional opponents and rivals of the Steelers, it doesn't help that Harrison is now... It doesn't hurt, excuse me, that Harrison is now a, a self-proclaimed Steelers hater. So moving on to our second down segment, taking a look at some of the bigger off-field stories of the past week throughout the NFL and the world of football. And uh, what, we're looking for, what we're looking at this week is uh, Chip Kelly, of course, a former coach of the Oregon Ducks for many years. Uh, terrific success with that program. Uh, of course, left Oregon this past offseason just a couple of months ago to take on the job with the Philadelphia Eagles. And like Pete Carroll leaving USC for Seattle a few years ago, uh, sanctions now coming out against the Oregon program just months after Kelly left 
for the NFL, just as sanctions came down against the USC program just months after Carroll left for the NFL. Um, Oregon has agreed its football coaches committed at least one major violation. Uh, these are according to reports. The school and NCAA disagree as to whether a second violation was committed. Um, much like Carroll, Kelly won't be around when the sanctions hit. The sanctions that he, uh, you would assume, uh, played a significant role. Uh, you know, the, uh, the the violations, excuse me, sanctions are punishing, and the violations that you assume he played a significant role in as head coach of that program. Um, and you know, it's this is perfect for Chip Kelly. You know, I mean, he can. Try the NFL for two to three seasons with the Eagles, a fairly high-profile job, if not a very high-profile job. If it doesn't work out, he can head back to college, a few years removed from the violations, the NCAA sanctions, and come back to Oregon or another program as a hero. You know, I mean, this is not a black mark on Chip Kelly, just as I don't really think this is a black mark on Pete Carroll, the fact that NCAA came down in his program after he left to coach the Seahawks. Uh, John Calipari, pretty much every single Final Four appearance he's ever had in his coaching career, has been removed for one reason or another by the NCAA over in basketball. Um, and the list goes on and on, you know, about coaches and their indiscretions. I mean, Rick Pitino has had some personal indiscretions, but, you know, none of that stuff gets mentioned. Uh, when it comes to these college coaches. And, you know, there was a time, not all that long ago, when stories like these were met with surprise and maybe even some anger. Like, oh, sleazeball. I mean, you committed violations and you're not going to stick around to to seek it, to see it out. You're not going to stick around for the sanctions, the punishments. You're going to move on to the NFL. You're going to move on to another job. You're going to abandon your program when they need you most. And, you know, I don't know if there's a kind of that, that kind of outrage anymore with Kelly. I don't know if there was that kind of outrage for Carol not too long ago. Um, because I think it's pretty hammering our heads now. There is no loyalty in major collegiate athletics. Um, and uh, with the Kevin Ware injury in Louisville at the Final Four, uh, March Madness a couple weeks ago, uh, came to light. These players, these athletes, of course, are not paid. Um, and, you know, a guy like Ware suffers an injury uh, with the severity he suffered. Um... Obviously, a lot of health costs go along with that, surgical costs, and sometimes these players' health costs aren't covered by the school after they graduate, even if they suffered the injury while playing for the school, which hinders, you know, the player's ability to make a living after he's done, because playing in a major Division One athletic program, a lot of these guys have ambitions of going pro uh, in their sport, and the injury will prevent them from doing that in some cases, and the schools don't really help them out financially, and, and with the Kevin Ware injury in Louisville, uh, that conversation uh, made it into the public arena yet again. And I'm glad it did. It's a good conversation to have. Um, but the way I've used collegiate athletics, and granted, I'm not a huge college sports fan, casual at best in both basketball and football. Um, the way I look at it is, and maybe why stories like these, can, you know, they continue to come out and they don't really surprise me anymore, is it, it, to me, it's all how you view it. It's how you view the co uh, major Division One college athletics. Uh, I view it as a multi-billion dollar industry, or otherwise a multi-billion dollar business, just like professional sports are multi-billion dollar businesses. And if, when you view it as such, uh, these instances of selfishness and rule bending don't really come to you as that big of a surprise. Uh, I feel there's still that perception out there. I mean, we still call them student athletes, I'm talking about the players now. And we still insist on talking about a pure college sports stars. You know, March Madness at the top of my mind because the championship game was just a little over a week ago. But, uh, you know, always talking about, oh, look at these great kids, just happy to be here. These coaches rallying the troops. And it's not always that way. Um, college sports are not pure. In a lot of instances, and this one with Kelly, they're the furthest thing from, from pure. And I think that narrative is over with to a lot of people. 
And this story, stories like these are, are, are just another unfortunate reminder of that. And really, it's unavoidable. When you have hunt, these big television contracts, these national TV deals, local TV deals, uh, attendance figures, all this money, billions upon billions of dollars being thrown around these programs, these sports, um, it's tough to maintain your pureness. It is. And you always want to have the best recruits. You always want to get ahead because... The reward is higher than the risk. A guy like Chip Kelly will never have to search too hard for another coaching job in college football again. Um, these sanctions have zero effect on him. His legacy, nothing. And he won't even be there for them at Oregon. So that's why we'll continue to see stuff like this. Because the reward for these coaches far higher than the risk. There really is no risk to bending the rules. You don't even have to endure the sanctions anymore. So wrapping up the show here with our third down segment, it's the Big Up Slowdown segment. I say a statement and then express my agreement or disagreement with that statement by saying Big Up or Slow Down. Question number one, the NFL will release its regular season schedule at 8 o'clock tomorrow night, Thursday. Uh, ESPN is televising this live, so Big Up or Slow Down. Is this an overblown event, even more overblown than the draft, which I'm sure you know I'm not particularly a huge fan of? Um, well, you know... I may surprise you with this answer, but I'm going to say slow down uh, because this is a great event for a football fan. The schedule being revealed for the upcoming season. We love dissecting and diving into the NFL schedule. And we love analyzing you know, the national TV games. Did your team get gypped? Uh, talking about who, had an, who has an easy schedule, who has a hard schedule. We all like to prognosticate based on the schedule. I make fun of it from time to time, but I do it too. I look at the schedule for each team. I go, oh yeah, that's a win. That's a loss. Win, loss, win, loss. It's... We all do it. Uh, in the NFL, again, this is a theme we talk about consistently on this show. Um, NFL, looking for 12-month per year sport domination. Uh, next week is the NFL draft. They put the first round to that in prime time at the end of the week. And the NFL schedule now, the week before, usually kind of a down week for the league in terms of news. Nope, the NFL will dominate the sporting coverage tomorrow because of the schedule. And though it may sound a little geeky, uh, I will be watching it, ready to dissect it, as I'm sure most, if not all of you, will be doing as well tomorrow night. Question number two, big up or slow down. Raiders owner Mark Davis said he sees his crosstown rival, the San Francisco 49ers, as a model for the Raiders organization to follow. Of course, Mark's father, Al, passed away, and Mark has now taken control of the team. Big up or slow down after Mark Davis now in power for a little bit. We know a little bit more about him, what he's about, his management style, and the comments he made this week. Speaking, speaking at length about the 49ers and how the Raiders as an organization want to build themselves going forward. Big up or slow down, are the Raiders in good hands with Mark Davis in this change in management? It's tough for me to give a real detailed account of it because obviously I'm in Boston, not in Oakland or the Bay Area. But from my perspective, after reading these comments and following the Raiders recently, I say, yeah, you know, let's say big up for the time being, knowing what we know now, from my perspective, the Raiders are, seem to be in pretty good shape. Uh, Davis is giving GM Reggie McKenzie the freedom to purge the roster of bad contracts. Coach Dennis Allen is going to be given another season. Said a couple weeks ago, I like the Matt Flynn move. It's a definition of low risk. Maybe not high reward because it's Matt Flynn, but medium reward. I mean, he's not getting paid all that much. Didn't give up really anything of value for him. Um... I like the Flynn move. I did. I mean, he, just last year, he was one of the top free agent quarterbacks on the market. Um, and the biggest thing the Raiders need is stability. 
I mean, look at their coaching list. Since John Gruden left for Tampa Bay after 2001, look at these Raiders coaches. Uh, everyone from Bill Callahan to Norv Turner to Art Shell, Lane Kiffin. Talk about slimy guys, huh? Uh, Tom Cable, Hugh Jackson, now Dennis Allen. Uh, it's, it's unreal, <laughs> the lack of stability with that organization. That's Mark Davis and Reggie McKenzie and Raiders management's biggest job right now, restore stability to the organization. And the 49ers, I think, have been definitely one of the more stable franchises across the league for a while now, and certainly one of the more successful franchises across the league, reigning NFC champions. So uh, big up, I say, from my perspective for the time being. The Raiders seem to be in pretty good shape. Uh, final topic here, a bit more of a big, pic big picture question, excuse me, and uh, deserving of a lot of time. We could do a whole show around this, and maybe we will as the offseason continues on. Uh, but Peyton Manning, now with the Denver Broncos, of course, began voluntary workouts with Wes Welker and the Broncos yesterday. Manning, of course, has that one Super Bowl ring. The Broncos have bulked up this offseason, adding Welker to complement Demarius Thomas and Eric Decker at receiver, uh, signing Dominic Rogers-Cromartie to help out that secondary. Um, Broncos have added, big up or slow down, Peyton Manning's legacy. Does he have to win another one? Does he have to win that second championship? Um, I say slow down here. You know, I don't think Manning has to win another one. I don't know if he has to do anything at this point. He's already cemented as one of the best quarterbacks of his generation right there with Tom Brady. They'll forever be linked and synonymous, and synonymous with each other. Um, so no, I don't think Manning needs to win. Uh, but boy, it would help. I mean, it would certainly do a lot to propel his legacy. Um, because now what's the excuse? You're in a relatively soft AFC West. Uh, the Chargers have a new coach in Mike McCoy, and, and, and they, you know, will hope to contend this year, but given their personnel changes and questions they have with their quarterback, Phillip Rivers, I don't think you can expect San Diego to be much above 500 this season. It seems like it might be a transitional year or a transitional period for that franchise. The Chiefs, new coach Andy Reid, Alex Smith is back, should improve upon last year's hideous performance, but they still seem to be a bit ways away. Ditto for the Oakland Raiders. It's still a soft AFC West. It's the Broncos' division to lose. Um, and they have one of the best rosters in the AFC. Maybe on paper the best roster in the AFC heading into the season. They were very good a year ago, and they've only added Demarius Thomas, Wes Welker, and a couple of other pieces. Um, and, the other th and the thing I'll say about... So, if Manning loses... Again, I don't think it harms his legacy necessarily, but it reaffirms what I've said on the show and what I said about him last January about, you know, Manning, it's Brady, then Manning. You know, it's Aaron Rodgers, then Manning. He'll always be a run lower than the other elites of his generation because of only winning the big one once. Uh, one thing I will say about Peyton Manning, though, while we're, brief, while we're doing the Manning-Brady comparison, or kind of doing it here, is... Um, you know, the Patriots have struggled with breaking new receivers over the past decade. I went over their draft history earlier. But even free agency, right? Chad Ochocinco, Joey Galloway, Brandon Lloyd to an extent. Uh, a lot of guys, rookies, veteran receivers alike, struggle to pick up this offense, struggle to get in sync with Brady for whatever reason or reasons. Um, that doesn't happen with Manning. Uh, blended in perfectly with his new receivers in offense last year. A little bit of a learning curve, first month, month and a half of the season. But then once mid-October hit, Manning was great. In, in, in terrific form, um, putting up terrific numbers every week as well. In Indianapolis, you know, you had Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne for many years, but then they developed Dallas Clark, and then they had that year where the injuries hit, and they developed rookie rad receivers like, you know, a guy like Austin Colley who comes on with Manning. And, you know, Manning, the day you're drafted, if you're a receiver, he texts you, and you meet him the next day or the next days for a workout. And uh, Brady, given his lifestyle right now, you have to go to him. And Patriots do it. Amendola, Aaron Hernandez were out there earlier this offseason in California working out with Brady. But 
You know, Manning, at this stage in his career, seems to be a little more apt, for whatever reason, at breaking in newer guys than Brady is. So, that's just a little thing I'll say. But again, does he have to win another one? No, I don't think Manning has to do anything at this stage in his career. But, would it help? Oh yeah, it most certainly would. Wrapping up the show here in our fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. And it's usually where I get something petty off my chest. And given the events of this week and the ongoing information we receive, uh, it certainly makes it very petty today. So I want to briefly mention this story, though. It's a bit of a fun story. I've been meaning to talk about it for a couple weeks, so I figure we put it here. Uh, Patriots signs a player by the name of Jeff Demps, formerly of the University of Florida, um, to be a kick returner. And he missed all of last season. He's He has dynamic speed, one of, supposedly one of the fastest guys in the league. Um, and he's also a sprinter. And that's important because earlier this offseason, Demps and his agent said he wants to sprint. He wants to be a professional sprinter, and he wants to continue to pursue that. Uh, so thus, he would only play half a season for the Patriots. But if Coach Belichick wants him to only play half a season, Demps would happily do it. And, I mean, that is just, isn't that the most absurd thing you've heard? I mean, yeah, Bill Belichick is going to, or any football coach, is going to accept Jeff Demps, this unknown quantity in the NFL, who missed all of last season, by the way, to come in for half the season. He's going to trust he's going to be in football shape. Come on. Um, as it turns out, this was reported two weeks ago. Belichick hasn't returned, Dempsey's agent calls, for several weeks, now over a month. Um, and now his agent is saying, this came out this week, that the Patriots are trying to trade Demps. <laughs> and he acts surprised at this. I mean, you really act surprised that the Patriots want to trade your client? He said he only wants to commit to them for half a season? If Jeff Demps isn't willing to commit to the Patriots, why would the Patriots be willing to commit to Jeff Demps? Um, and really, what team would trade for this unproven guy? Who, by the way, oh yeah, is only going to play for half of a season. <laughs> There's a lot of lunacy around the league, a lot of lunacy in sports, but this this story uh, most certainly takes the cake. <laughs> Talk about delusion. I think that's the perfect word for Jeff Demps and his agent. Nation today, episode number 46. Okay, my name is Alex Reamer. As always, we thank you for listening to the program. You have any thoughts, feel free to have a comment on our show page on footballnation.com. We always appreciate and welcome those. Also, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at AlexReamer1 is my Twitter handle, or feel free to send me an email. AReamer at BU.edu is my email address. Again, a bit of a tough show to get through this week, but thank you for listening. Hopefully, you enjoyed our sports cocoon for the past 25 minutes or so. Um, and we'll be back next Wednesday. NFL Draft is next week. We'll preview that and I'll talk about the other big stories around the week. So, so long, everybody. Thank you for listening. Again, thoughts and wishes go out to all those affected the events of the Boston Marathon this past Monday. Keep the city of Boston and everyone affected in your thoughts. And we'll be back on Wednesday. So long. Talk then.